Today, our gospel, uh, Jesus uses a very, very drastic image um, that I think most of us might miss. Um, if, we're not, if we're not really tuned into the audience and to um, the context in which Jesus is preaching back 2,000 years ago, um, we might miss what he's actually doing and what he's actually trying to pull out and tease out in this gospel. Um, so I want to take a little bit of time just to understand, so we can understand the context. And I think once we understand the context, the teaching that Jesus is giving us is actually something that's going to be very, very applicable to every one of our lives. So we hear the context that Jesus speaks, right? His first couple of words, right? Jesus addressed this parable to whom? To those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. So when Jesus is pray, preaching this, this parable, when he's using this image, he's making a point to preach to the people that are proud. He's preaching to people that think that they are doing all the things they're supposed to do and think that they're praising God, but in, act, in actuality, they see themselves as better than everyone else. Now, I know that would seem such like a, such a foreign idea, especially in church circles, because we would never have people that see themselves as the, as the standard by which everybody else should be judged. I hope you hear the sarcasm in my voice, right? I know it's late, but I hope you hear it. <laughs> so what Jesus does is he picks the most um, drastic of dichotomies, the most drastic of examples that just to spread out the spectrum as far as he possibly can. So the first group, the first person he says, he talks about a Pharisee, and the second, he talks about a tax collector. Now a Pharisee was seen as the model of all holiness, these were scholars of the law. They knew their faith. They knew everything they were supposed to do. They knew all the 300-some-odd the laws that they were supposed to follow all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. They knew all of the tithing they were supposed to do. They knew all the fasting they were supposed to do. They knew all of the rituals, all of the ways in which they were supposed to, and to, to worship God and to, to do all of these different things, right? So they knew the Old Testament. They were the scholars. They were seen as the leaders. They were seen as the models. They were the moral authority of the Jewish people. So when he talks about the Pharisees, he's talking about the people who were basically walking saints because of their office. That's why it's, when he talks about Pharisees, priests kind of like, we balk at it a little bit because we know he's, he's kind of talking about to the, to the Old Testament version of us. Now, I know I'm far from the model, but you, just bear with me, right? That's who he's talking about. These are people that publicly were supposed to uphold all the standards that the Jewish faith had. On the other side of the spectrum, though, he's got the tax collector. And publicly, the tax collector was seen as the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. Like we even hear it in the prayer, right? I'm, I'm not adulterous. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not this. I'm not even that tax collector. Like the worst of the worst. And the reason why was because the tax collector was not only a cheat, Right? What they would do is they would collect the taxes on behalf of the Romans, and they, when they would collect the taxes, they would co collect a little bit more than they were supposed to collect because they made a point to line their own pockets, right? So it's not just that they were dishonest, but these were Jews that were collecting taxes against their own people for Gentiles. So they were not, they, these were Jews that were working for the Romans and then cheating out their own people. 
So they not only were cheats, they not only were dishonest, but at the same time, they were also traitors. Because the Jewish people were living under the heel of the Roman occupation. And they were having to hold their breath when Romans would walk through the street. as to not get hurt or beat or looked down upon or spit on or anything else. And these people were contracted out by them. So not only were they cheats, not only were they loose morally, but also they were traitors. And they were taking advantage of me and my people personally. So when Jesus breaks open this kind of dichotomy, when he has this kind of spectrum, it's, it's a wide gap, right? That he's talking about from a Pharisee to a tax collector. And I think it's very important for us to understand that. A Pharisee being holiness embodied and a tax collector being the lowest of the low garbage. Human garbage. So Jesus uses this example and he says, the Pharisee comes into the temple area to pray. And when the Pharisee comes into the temple area to pray, he comes right up to the front and this is what he says. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. O oh God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. Congratulations. You're also kind of full of yourself and a little bit of a jerk, right? Like, if we think about it, notice what he's doing. Notice the words that he's saying. I don't do everything else that humanity says. Very, very self-righteous. All about me. Look at what I've accomplished. Look what I don't do. Look what I don't do. I'm not like all those messed up people out there. I'm a Pharisee. On top of that, he then says, I also pay my tithes, and I do all the things I'm supposed to do. So he's following the law. But there's a key difference with the Pharisee. Because notice who he prays to. He says he steps up and he prays to himself. This list of accomplishments. I don't do these things, but I do do these things. You see, I think when we look at the Pharisee, we can see an example of what it is to feel like, I don't really need God. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the prayer that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do the stuff that I'm supposed to do. But interiorly, you know what? God, I kind of got this. Just step aside. Go, go Look, there are other people that need things. Go, go bother them. Go talk to them. I'll be good. I'm strong. I like. I, look, I, I know what I need to do. I know the faith. I understand it. I can get by. That's good enough. Look, you don't have to bother with me. Just go deal with other people. The interesting thing, though, is, is that we as human beings are made to worship. Whether we realize it or not, we are going to worship something or someone. Like, this is how it translates to us today, right? Like, we might feel like in prayer, like, look, I got my stuff figured out, Lord. Like, I got my next four years, my next eight years, my next 16 years all planned out, ready to go. Like, look, you good. Go, go talk to somebody that's, like, really struggling. 
We're good. But we're going to worship something. And if we throw God aside, we're going to fill that blank in with something or someone. Like we're either going to, we're going to worship God or we're going to fall like to worship money or to worship sex or to worship pleasure or to worship power or to worship a, a political ideology or something as stupid as a sports team. But we're going to give our attention and devotion and focus over to something or someone. And the worst of which would be where the Pharisee finds himself. That he gives his attention and devotion and focus over to himself. I don't need God. I've got me. It's depravity in that. I think this is where our world lives. I don't really need God. I can handle it. Now we look at our tax collector. What does our tax collector's prayer sound like? The tax collector stood off at a distance. This is the biblical reason of why the best Catholics sit in the back of the church. But anyway. The tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, the tax collector finds himself realizing how small he is. Realizing how limited he is. Realizing that he doesn't have community. He doesn't have influence. He doesn't have popularity. He doesn't have power. He doesn't have any kind of status in the world. And he knows that all I can do is just beg God for His mercy. Because alone, I'm deprived. But before God, He can work in me. Like that's the posture, I think, for all of us that we should be striving for in prayer. Is that left to my own vices, I'll fall. Left to my own vices, I'm in trouble. Left to my own vices, I'm damned. But in relationship to God, with His mercy, I can be lifted up out of hopelessness. Now, I got a feeling, now, the, the tax collector, right? He's standing in a position of, I always need God. Pharisee, I never need God. Tax collector, I always need God. Now, I have a feeling, though, is that most of us in this church, most likely, uh, if you're here tonight, there's a good chance that you're not standing where I don't need God. I never need God. I'm good without God. There's also a good chance that most of us here, myself included, that we really struggle with the idea of I always need God and I'm left to, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble if I'm by myself, if I cut off from Him. Like that might be something we're striving for, but it takes some work to get there. 
I know for me, one of my biggest, one of my biggest struggles is that I typically fall somewhere in between, and it sounds like this. I need God when I need God. I look for God when I need God. What does that look like? Well, for me, in college, it was finals week. <laughs> I needed God. I needed some miracles. I needed all kind of things because there was no way I was going to learn an entire semester of calculus in 12 hours. It just wasn't going to happen, right? But God could do all things. With God, with God all things are possible. It doesn't work for studying, right? But finals week, I, I, I was looking for God when I needed God. And it translates beyond that when a diagnosis comes down and I'm looking for God when, when I need God. Or a, or, or a relationship starts to break down and I'm looking for God when I need God. Or I feel overwhelmed because I'm looking for God when I need God. Or I feel abandoned, or I feel betrayed, or I feel abused, or I feel, I feel taken advantage of. I'm looking for God when I need God. When I, when I feel like I'm an outcast and I'm alone, I'm looking for God when I need God. When there's no hope because I'm fighting the same sin that I keep going back to, I'm looking for God when I need God. And that's the only time I do. And what ends up happening is you get this vending machine spirituality. Where prayer becomes, I go to God, I put in my three Hail Marys, and then you give me the grace that I need. And then I'm going to be back next time I need something. That's not a relationship. That's treating God like a utility. And it's not what the Lord wants. That's not what the Lord wants. God wants us to be so invested and so into a relationship with Him that we realize that we are utterly powerless and hopeless without Him. Not just when we need Him. You see, when we come to Mass tonight, like it, this is a, our prayer is an exercise in humility of recognizing that I need You, Lord, in all things at all times. And we can waver between the, the, the posture of the Pharisee and the posture of the tax collector depending on the day. But today as we come to Mass, the Lord doesn't just want us to, to do the things we're supposed to do and say the things we're supposed to do and act the way we're supposed to in, empty, in, in just some kind of empty way of, of rote repetition. But instead what He wants to do is He wants to find a place that He can dwell in our hearts where we recognize our poverty, right? The, the, the responsorial psalm that we sang together, the Lord hears the cry of the poor, where we recognize our poverty, and then we cry out to God saying, God, I need you to come and meet me in, in, the, in the spots that I'm weakest, in the spots that I'm most hurt, in the spots that I'm, I'm most struggling. I need your grace. Because I can't do it alone. Like, not to sound like an old curmudgeon guy or anything like that, but this is, this is one of the things that, 
This is one of the influences, I think, that social media has had on our cult, my culture, your cult, all of our culture, like young, young culture today. Is that we don't allow ourselves to see our weakness. We don't allow people to see our weakness because we're too busy making sure that we show everybody that I'm fine. I'm good. I live an exciting life. And most of the time it's hollow. Where we fall into this kind of, this calculus of trying to stand out just enough, but not too much. The Lord wants to meet us in the, in the places that we're most hurt. That's why when we, when we bow our heads to pray, whether it be in Mass, whether it be in the chapel, whether it be in our room before we go to bed, wherever it is, when we bow our heads to pray, it's an exercise in humility. Where we put ourselves before God, recognizing our weakness, recognizing that we need Him. And He meets us in the places that we're most weak, that we most struggle Again, tonight, He's going to step down from heaven to here to meet you. Like That's why Jesus came. That, that, that's the reason why Jesus became man. That's the reason why Jesus stepped down to heaven, was born of the Virgin. That we're going to, all those things we're going to say in the Creed, right? Like That's the reason why it all happened. That's the reason why the Paschal Mystery happened. That's the reason why Good Friday happened, was so that God could enter into your suffering, into your pain, into my struggles, into my faults, right? He can enter into our stuff so that He could heal us. That's the reason why the Pharisee walks away like an arrogant jerk with no justification and no grace. And the terrible tax collector can be justified and forgiven because he's in touch with his weakness. May today we exercise, we allow this prayer, this Mass, to be an exercise in humility. And we allow the Lord to speak to us and to move in us in the places that we need Him the most. Because we know it's a lie that we never need God. And we know it's a bad habit that we probably need to break to think that I, I only look for God when I need Him. And may we live a life where we recognize that we always are in need of His love and especially His mercy.